Our world is lost in unnecessary fear and hurt. Our systems seem scientifically engineered to make you small, powerless, and always waiting for the next great leader who will fix the problems around us. Worse, we're witnessing neighbor versus neighbor while warfare breaks out around our family tables. But you have access to a spirit, a strength that enlarges and empowers you. Even better, you don't need to wait for the next big movement. You can heal the world. It's time for governance by Grace. Welcome to Gracearchy with Jim Babka. Here at the effect, talking with Dave Brisbane. Um, thank you for having us here. Ah, pleasure. We've had some pretty good conversations. It's been great. <laughs> I've been loving it. But it Seriously. kind of seems like we've been agreeing on a lot of stuff here. And Bill, you wrote us both an email. And you raised the question, and I have a feeling that we're maybe not going to all see eye to eye and or the same way in this one. This might be a little more interesting. Yeah, this is in this was ways. really cool, you guys. I um, so you know I grew up as a Christian Scientist. So Christian Scientists, I'm going to use it. Do not believe in doctors. However, that's all changing within the Christian Science Church, and I'm reading a very interesting book right now about that, which I can cite in the show notes. But it reminded me of something because vaccinations, right? Mm -hmm. We've got anti-vaxxers, we've got pro-vaxxers, we've got all kinds of information and stuff and whatever, and you do your own research. So um, I didn't get vaccinated when I was a baby, but when I had to travel in college abroad, there were vaccinations that were required. I'm like, well, you know what? Based on my beliefs, these vaccinations can't hurt me. And if it's necessary for the public good, I'll go along with it. So I did. That attitude has kept me all the way straight up from leaving Christian science to whatever and now going to doctors and all of that. But today, thinking about the stance on the COVID vaccination, because of my volunteer work, I need to be vaccinated because I can't go to these places unless I can show my COVID card. So I took all the vaccinations, not a problem. Some of them weren't nice, but eh, it was all right. And it was interesting to me reading this book to see that there's an opening now in the Christian science church about doing what's right for the public good. We kind of talked about this a little bit before where you, you do certain things, mm -hmm. even though your faith leads you in a different direction because it's necessary to appear in the world as a follower of the law. The law is not everybody's highest sense of right, but it's most of ours. So I'm really curious. And so I wrote this email to both you guys and said, hey, so what do you think about this? You know, I'm not anti-vax, I'm not pro-vax. I'm like, okay, we'll do the right thing here because it seems to make the most sense for the most people and it creates the least amount of controversy. That's kind of a least common denominator position, but it was also aligned with my faith. I didn't see that I had a Christian reason for not being vaccinated or a Christian science reason one for not being vaccinated either, for whatever that's worth. So uh, there's a setup. Let's see where we go with this. Okay. Um, I just want to, before we get into the commandment, see the more deeper issues about um, how we should approach this as individuals. I just feel like a couple things should be said. Um, first, I, the definition of anti-vaxxer or anti-vaccination was literally changed in the dictionary uh, during this crisis. No they kidding. literally rewrote the dictionary. Wow. Um, it was possible before for you to have a position that was relatively neutral on this issue mm -hmm. where you were what I would call pro-choice in that, in that vein where maybe you were taking vaccination, but you were like, I believe in the liberty of others to make their own decisions. That position is now labeled anti-vaxxer. So it's possible for you to be somebody who would say, hey, I think you should get the vaccination and I got it too, but I do believe in liberty. Well, well, now you're an anti-vaxxer. So that's changed. Great. The second thing I want to establish right up front 
is that what we were given in COVID, what was pre- presented, and I did not take it. I'm going to go right on record and say I did not do it. Mm-hmm. Um, what we were presented was not a vaccination. And I go to the CEO of Bayer, uh, which is a German company, and he was speaking to an audience where he said, brilliant marketing fellows. We needed to get as many people to take this as fast as possible. Vaccines had a good public identification in the minds of uh, the public. They, 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 they saw this as a positive thing health-wise and they would understand it quickly instead of having to explain to them the real technology that was being used here. And so he said it was clearly not a vaccine, but it was good marketing to have done so. So it was not a vaccine. And part of the way that we know that it wasn't a vaccine is it did not actually prevent you from getting COVID. Right, right. It which was, is now, this was debatable in 2021. It is now no longer debatable. It was actually a lie that was continually perpetuated until we arrive at a point where it just could not be maintained anymore because everyone's actual lived experience contradicted it. And people talked and found out that everyone else's lived experience oh, sure. yeah. contradicted and, it. And in my own self-defense, I understood that it was not an inoculation, that it was sort of a, a what do they call it? A preventative kind of a thing. If you got it, it wouldn't be as bad. Right. And I figured but that's okay, not what that's not the way it was initially. That's sold. not the way it was marketed. No. And so <clears throat> uh, when you take a vaccine, you are taking it uh, so that you will not get the disease. Right. It's preventive. And you are also taking it because if you don't get the disease, you won't share or spread the disease. And that is no longer justifiable given what we've all been able to witness. So obvious is the nose on your face in this situation. So I just, I wanted to put those things on record at the very start of this. Good. I'm I'm glad for the clarification. That's important that people understand that. And as someone who volunteers inside the healthcare industry, that's very clear to all the workers who are doing that, whether they're clinicians and trained professionals or volunteers, we get it. So, and, and I'm glad that you clarified that because it's still a misconception out there that this will prevent you from getting this thing. And no, it won't. It's not about that. Okay. So now imagine we have, we, what we really want to talk about then is like how, if we believe in Christ, if Christ is our guide, what is it? Uh, what is our response? Is that is that what you're asking? Yeah, what is our response? I mean, both to society, but individually to ourselves. So should we divide those into two parts? Yeah. Okay, yeah. let's talk individually first. Yeah. Okay, so in terms of what I actually did with the vaccines? Or? Yeah, and, and, and how you... You, you're you're playing this spiritually, individual as an individual. Okay. Um, well, first of all, just, just in terms of what I did, um, I took a very utilitarian point of view. You know, not to be understood in the ethical sense, but just... It was basically a cost-benefit analysis. Yeah, I'm working yeah. in a hospital. Um, part of part of what I do is is counseling hospital staff, and so I'm in and out of hospital. And the hospital mandated that we get vaccines, or if we we if we didn't, we needed a physician uh, waiver or a religious waiver. Mm-hmm. But even if you had those waivers, then you were going to be uh, having to be tested and wearing masks. You know, doing all this kind of rigmarole every time I went in and out of the hospital. Not only that, I know how some of the others felt. And so on a cost benefit basis, if I'm going to work in a hospital and I wanted to continue working, uh, it just seemed better to get the, the vaccine as, as it was, even though I was deeply skeptical of it along the lines of what you were just talking about. And I didn't believe that it was really going to help me that much. I didn't also think it was going to hurt me that much. And so in order to work and in order to make those I was working with and for feel more comfortable. Yes. Yes. Because that's part of honoring the other. Um, I decided to go ahead and do it. 
I've had no ill effects from it. I haven't continued on with any boosters because that wasn't mandated by the hospital. If it weren't for the hospital, I wouldn't have done it at all. I, I believe that's probably would have been my take, but it wouldn't have been, been from a hard felt, um, you know, what, what the theological, religious, or even philosophical base. It's just that I, I wouldn't have seen the efficacy. Of well, I, I see that you're offering grace in that situation mm -hmm. because other people are affected by your choice and you acknowledge that this moment is, the relationship is more important here than, um, than not, yeah. right? I tend to be a libertarian politically, so I didn't like the idea of being mandated to do anything like this that yeah, rubbed absolutely. against me philosophically, yeah. but not to the extent that uh, when it came down to the local community that I was willing to, to take that particular stand and I yeah. wanted to keep serving in that way. I don't believe my faith mandates anything one way or another when it comes down to these particular issues. Um, we've uh, we've just spent on other episodes, uh, went around the how and the what tree, you know, that, that I don't believe that God's will or mandates for us are what's, but they are how's. He's concerned with how we conduct ourselves, not the individual choices that we make. Those are situational. Those are always contextual. You know, in this case, in the hospital, contextually, I felt that it was better for me to have and take the vaccine rather than not, even though it did rub against me uh, philosophically. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm going to play off the contextual sure. part uh, because and I want to make sure I, I say this whole thing. I'm, I, thoughts are running through my head. I purposely avoided during the heat of the crisis until the very end of 2021. Um, and it was a specific event that changed my mind about this giving anybody advice, even though I felt strongly that this was a bad idea. I did not tell anybody ever to not take the vaccine, even though I personally did not do it. Now, I colorfully described myself as in the control group. I remain in the control group. <laughs> That's great. Uh, Way yes. to spin it. Yes. Uh, that I wanted, uh, but I did actually believe in my heart of hearts that there was going to need, there was going to be a future need for people who did not take this uh, because I felt like there would, might be things, there was the distinct possibility because of the quickness with which all this happened, that there was going to be the distinct possibility that they actually were going to need a control group. Hmm. They actually were going to need people who could say, okay, I never took it. How do I compare X, Y, and Z to people who did? Because I didn't feel like we could know all of the effects, positive and negative, in the short amount of time we were being kind of insisted or demanded upon or even being dictated uh, to as to what those were. There was an awful lot of confidence and bravado coming out of uh, the mouths of federal officials, including the director of the CDC, Rochelle Walensky, uh, Anthony Fauci uh, over at NIH. Uh, and then, uh, unfortunately, and what I think was probably for me the darkest part of the entire pandemic personally was the, uh, the stage in late 2021 labeled the pandemic of the unvaccinated where those of us who had not gotten the shot were literally blamed for what was going on. And I say that I oh. uh, changed my mind about whether or not I was going to be kind of quiet about this or be you know, pro or anti it. Uh, that happened as a result of an event that uh, occurred in our family life uh, that it just struck me how bad the scapegoating was, how murderous, frankly, it was that these people that were not getting the shots, they really do want other people to die. They're heartless, cruel uh, people. So my grace in this particular situation is a situation I'm not entirely comfortable with. Uh, I believe every uh, believer is given spiritual gifts, and mine happens to be prophet. 
And uh, the role of prophet is truth teller. It's seeing what's going on and then saying something. And it's usually saying it to an audience that really doesn't want to hear it. So they stone prophets. I, at times it's a burden and a curse. And this was one of those times it was a burden and a curse because there are things that, because this is what I do, I wear my libertarian on, uh, status on my sleeve. And this is what I do professionally and, and how I provide and make a living for my family. And I've spent the last 25 and we're now approaching 30 years studying this, you know, almost full time and trying to figure out how to implement these values. And they are a set of values. And one of the things that you, you begin to develop over time is a set of heuristics. You start to be able to see kind of like, okay, when something's coming down the pike, I don't have all the details yet, right? But we're, we're constantly put in positions as human beings where we have to make decisions where we don't have all the details. We have to act. We're compelled to act, but we don't have all the information. We won't yeah, get it until yeah. later. When we can wait for the information, we probably should in a lot of cases, right? I'm not a big fan of snap judgments, but heuristics are these approximations of, of knowledge that you've built up over past experiences. You've tested them several times. You say, when this type of thing happens, I notice the following stuff happens and I'm on the lookout. This is my entire mental psyche. I'm given the secret to how I tick. I am on the lookout all the time for the heuristics and the heuristics were coming back at me like a tidal wave. So what I experienced going through this uniquely, um, I think to, to a lot of people, I couldn't have done the utilitarian thing. I just, it wouldn't have been possible for me because to me, the utility of the, what was happening right now is that somebody needs to say, no, somebody needs to say, this is wrong. Somebody needs to explain why. And I was not bill. You've been working with me quite a bit satisfied with a lot of the ways people were expressing themselves and thought that there had to be another way to go about expressing all of this. But the fact is that. Uh, politics is inherently corrupt, that uh, when a decision becomes political, it's no longer scientific, yeah. it's political. Yeah. And I saw a lot of political action that was clearly bad. It's also the case that it's almost, I, I can't think of too many examples of exceptions. There's very, very few exceptions to the rule that one size fits all. It, 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 it doesn't, it just does not fit. And the idea, so at the very outset of the pandemic, I mean, just at the very, very outset when we were still in the, uh, you know, 101,000 some days to flatten the curve, at the very beginning of that process, uh, I was interviewed by an Associated Press reporter. And the article was about libertarians' response because, you know, hey, you know, turns out we really need the government, right? And all the other libertarians that were in that article, and I think there were eight of us total, all of them with the exception of one other person capitulated and basically said, yeah, this is a place where we need the state. We need them to step in and, 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 and engage in all these heroic actions to save us. I did not, I did not. I couldn't help thinking, for example, of a, uh, someone stuck in a home where their only respite maybe to get a meal during the day was to go to school or their only way that they could get away from an alcoholic or abusive family member was to be able to go to work on a daily basis. And all of a sudden, all these people were going to be confined together. And so it was the death of a pandemic, the risk at that hour that we all thought, thought was pretty large, uh, might they have still chosen the route of going out in the public because of the situation they had at home? And how is it possible for the governor who's never met this human being in his life to actually know 
how to help that person's specific situations. So no one size doesn't fit all. The governor doesn't know all of this. He's not a specialist in scientists and that's not how he got elected. All of this right off the bat was wrong to me. And it was like a flood of these heuristics just hitting me and this need as the prophet to speak out and say, this is wrong. And so I did speak out about a lot of different things as they were going on, but on the vaccination question in particular, I held off until I realized it, until it landed right on my doorstep, how yeah. deep the hate that had been sown by the pandemic of the unvaccinated stage by those words by the president who he, that he repeated a bunch of times in, over a period of two months, how bad that was, uh, what kind of division that was causing within relationships that actually mattered in my own life. I agree with you. The pandemic is no time for scapegoating. And, but it happened. And it happened. It happened. And, and um, on the on the flip side of that, there may be millions and millions of us who have been um, vaccinated or want of a better word. I don't know what we call something that isn't a vaccine, but the, the, who have had our DNA modified. <laughs> so then I guess the other half of that question then is then what is what is the what would christ do type of response here in this this situation? oh in this political situation well even in, in just a, you know just i mean we I, I i wandered to a lot of different things and i'm sorry but um just to the vaccine like should what is the christian response to this like is that that's what you're asking yeah right? kind of in retrospect here like it's What's always the, good to sort of like an after we'll get a heuristic analysis, out of it right? we'll yeah. get a heuristic we'll get out a heuristic of it. right it's like so we saw this happen and we're far enough away from it now that we can at least look back and say oh well could we have done anything better let's say it that way is there some is there a better response we could have had as individuals perhaps not the government we're going to leave the government out so now specifically as christians I yeah guess. specifically like, as the, christians then what would and be, I, I think in order to take a look at that you got to distinguish between the macro and the micro mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. because love looks like justice in the macro and that's the only way the group survives is if, if things are just and in the micro love looks like mercy and compassion because that's the only way relationships exist oh, and so even though we have these we have these macro uh, directives coming down to us from the group it's always going to be contextualized in our micro relationships and so no, now we've got competing duties competing concepts and which one overrides the other it's kind of ross's you know vision of of prima facie duties and which one overrides the other do you break a promise that that's something you don't do but do you break a promise in order to save the kid who's drowning in the lake on your way to uh wherever you said you were going to be yeah. you know which overrides the other and so even though I'm saying, you know, I agree with 98% of what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> That's starting to become a theme. Yeah, yes. It really is. But on the other hand, when I came right down to my decision, the overriding duty that I had was to the people that I was serving in the hospital and, and in the church here too as well, because there's a lot of people who felt very strongly about the vaccinations. And so, you know, the best position for me was to be vaccinated as I continue to try to work with them and shepherd them and continue to be in dialogue and, and relationship with them. And so those duties overrode some of the other things that I believe in, that are more incongru congruous with what you're talking about. And so I think that's the way that you make the, the choices and you have to make the choices, but it's all situational and contextual to your specific situation or to say what what jim was saying in a different way the heuristics are either micro or they're macro but they're both considerations right so you have to consider the the heuristics of the of the micro relationships. actually i would i, I think that's really good because i think most of what you said was more on the micro side it was much more the relations that you had 
uh, at the local and why you chose. And by the way, one of the decisions you made, I literally made the opposite decision for the same reason you made the decision you made. But yeah, yeah. Uh, I was definitely thinking more macro. Like that's where my that's where I live. That's but you're working in the macro. Yeah, that's, that's exactly. Where you you're working at the yeah. policy I, level that I'm not working at. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And so that's what kind of like you know hammered or hit me. Mm -hmm. Which means that both responses are right if we have to go with right and wrong, right? They were appropriate responses based on the need that you are, based on your need to, to Well, serve. I'm gonna push back on one thing. Um, I think that we, you know, we haven't spent a lot of time focusing on this in the previous conversations that we've had, but I do believe in the concept of eternal life. I do believe that there is more than this. Um, and one of the things that we're supposed to gain out of our salvation is that we are supposed to no longer fear death um fear appears to me my perspective is the primary tool of the enemy or at least one of the big tools yep, yep. um if you can get fear going you can get people at each other's throats and you talk about scapegoating well fear was there and scapegoating this isn't the first pandemic in the history of the planet every single one of them had this kind of circumstance going on where some group was blamed for what was happening and by the way they were almost always erroneous in, in, their, in their immediate assessment at the time so given that they were you know why did we think that suddenly now in 2020 we had figured all this out for the very first time in the history of man we would know exactly who the right people to scapegoat was right uh we didn't we did. and and that was you know pushed off the front page too so uh I, I come back to this, this position and I, I couldn't, every pastor I've asked this has not known how to answer it. So I'm, we're going to see what you do with this. Okay. <laughs> it's not on the hot seat or anything. Why, no. why wasn't this discussed in the context of there are going to be people in this congregation that are not going to make the same decision as you make? And why were the church doors closed during the time of lockdown because most churches stayed closed way beyond uh, i'm aware of a church that stayed closed for more than six seven months and when they came back together they had very very restrictive rules and limits as to how many people were actually allowed to come to a given service and they continued their practice for well over a year um there was two weeks to flatten the curve i can kind of understand at the initial okay there's a little bit of practicality hey we're going to close. We're going to, until we get it, until we get our bearings or fee notes. And then, then maybe two weeks extends into four because we're still not quite sure what's happening, whatever. But at some point you start to be like, wait a minute, what are we scared of here? Um, and, and why aren't we having a discussion about death and it's, and, and our, our perspective and oh, our view. Yeah, on. I see where you're going here. Okay. And, and, and could the doors have been open for the people who were ready and willing to take that risk? And the people, there were tremendous accommodations. I completely 100% endorse for the people who didn't want to come and, and take that risk. And instead of the mask being a political issue, which is what it's become, like exposing the fact that, hey, scapegoating is going on here. Like, how do we handle that uh, aspect of it? I'm going to, the, I'm making the question too. Oh, long. yeah. So what is the question? Again? I really want to know why death was something that we were so scared of that we didn't allow room for diversity of individuality in this situation. Well, I, I just got to say that here at the effect, we actually did good. We, we sort of did almost exactly what you just suggested in that. Yes, we officially closed in March of 2020 with the rest of everybody else, but we never stopped um, coming here. The, the skeleton crew, you know, I, uh, our drummer just on a djembe, the guy who ran the audio board and a couple of others, we continued to come every Sunday and then we broadcast, did our stream and, 
we never closed our doors in the but sense that if as, little by little people started dribbling back in who were ready to dribble back in and we never closed our doors to them there was plenty of room to distance and do everything that they needed to do and then the after a couple of few months the band decided they were ready to come back so we brought the band back and then slowly it just kind of grew back to whatever it is post pandemic but we never actually closed or told people they couldn't be here we let them make their own decisions you know and that's, that's wonderful that's the way we handled it and it, it just it's just sort of worked out that way but I think because we are a contemplative church here, they're already and and we have become a second half of life church, which means that people are already focused more on these deep things. There already is that that lesser fear of death because we are cont contemplation is sometimes called the little death mm -hmm. because you are practicing that moment from when you completely step out of your egoic consciousness. Mm -hmm. And I think there already is. So for many of our people, we found that they were ready to come back in. Others not so much, and some have still not returned. They say they still stream us every Sunday, but they haven't returned. And so we just try to allow ourselves to fit wherever anybody else is. Okay. I love that. I love hearing that. And I, and I'm interested now in this contemplative part, I want you to expand on that a little bit because, uh, I think this is a very specific approach to Christianity that has certain implies certain things. And you've already shared one implication that there was kind of this little death that was already there because it, 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 it in the other quarters that I've observed, I've seen that it, it it hasn't been there. Okay. So can you just expand on this contemplative thing for just a moment? Sure, sure. Um, we were talking about people living in fear. Uh, uh, the living in fear is the living, uh, fearing the loss of identity, fearing the loss of everything it means to be who we are. Obviously, death is a moment when everything it means for us to be a human, our roles, our accomplishments, our attributes as a human being, um, are gone. They, they end at the headstone. And then the question is, well, what continues on? Does anything continue on? How do, does it continue on? And so that is the ultimate existential fear. But every loss that we incur in life is, is a, a small part of that because we are still clinging on to what we understand is of ourselves egoically in, in terms of our, our small consciousness. Contemplation is trying to come at God, not through ideas, not through theology, doctrine, or, or even practice, but purely ex experientially to step outside of all of that limiting, you know, understanding and concepts and just into a heart to heart, spirit to spirit connection. If God speaks at all, his native language is silence. We need to become fluent in that silence. So it's considered the little death because you're actually practicing for the moment when that becomes a totality for us as human beings. And in that experience comes a new understanding of how we relate to each other. And in that experience, we re realize there is a self that is deeper than what we can conceive of and put into words. And that continues on in some way that we can't express and as soon as we do express it we've stepped away from it again but contemplation is that experience mm -hmm.